Star Trek, The Nerdy Frontier. These are the discussions of the Good Time Society. Their continuing mission, to explore each episode, to seek out new topics and ridiculous observations, to boldly watch what they've already watched before. Becca Scott, Xander Jeanneret, thank you for coming into the casting office today. Good to see oh, you both. Is this the couch? Like, I, just... can't t- yeah. I can't uh, do I this want... today. I have too much self-respect, I decided. <laughs> oh, so you drove all the way over here to be in the casting office, and your first line of dialogue is to leave? No, that... I see the couch, and I know what happens here. Oh, no, I don't want you. I'm the in. couch is for an audition this afternoon. I want you to both oh. stand. We're going to do a quick scene. I'm casting Star Trek The Next Generation, and I just need you guys to be Starfleet officers. Um, Wait, you're yeah. calling it the next generation? Isn't I that am, a little yeah. on the nose? You know, just go with me instead of fighting okay. me on everything that we've done so far. <laughs> yeah. um, so I'm going to take a line from one of the episodes, specifically Data Lore, and I want you guys to just be able to read the line. So it's one of Worf's lines, as a matter of fact. Uh, uh, I'll read Tasha Yar's line, and I'll have you guys read Worf, okay? So, Becca, do you want to go first? or is You Andrew know, I do. Like okay, great. I'm going to read Yar. You read Worf. Here we go. My turbo sensors say he went to deck four. Worf? where he examined some micro-miniature work tools and some fine-grind quadratium. You told me this wouldn't be sexual. <laughs> that was pretty good. Uh, we just really want you to be able to say the technobabble with uh, a lot of ease. So Xander, let's have you give it a try and really nice and concise and quick. Uh, mm-hmm. My turbo sensors say he went to deck four. Worf? Where he examined some micro-miniature work tools and some fine-grind quadratinium. Ooh, good gruffness. I like that. You guys both did good. So you guys get this, right? We both get the part? Well, here's what we have to do. Since I want you both in this, we're just going to do a twins episode where you two are both the same person. (laughs) That makes sense. Speaking of twins, it's Datalore. Datalore. His name is Data. Data. I'm going to kill you. (laughs) Uh, Either, either. You say tomato, I say... The Enterprise explores Data's home planet, Omnicron Theta. They find his brother and the dark secret he carries. This one was fun. We get to see Brent Spiner being more than just Brent Spiner. It was nuts. This is my favorite episode. It's so, so good. It's a legit favorite to have. We get the introduction of Lore, which I think is a fascinating villain in like just the human version of Data. Is this what he's trying to be like? I, I think the whole concept is really interesting this is my favorite episode because so many of the concepts so far in theory have been scary have been suspenseful have been super spooky and people could die and i haven't once felt scared for the characters i've Mm. known it's a monster of the week and i've just not uh, emotionally invested in not thinking that they're going to be just fine at the end. Right, there would be lasting consequences. Yeah, and maybe I knew that in the back of my mind, but just the performance was so nuanced. I was on the edge of my seat like, no, you got to get, no, that's not Data. Data is in trouble. Someone (laughs) help Data. Because I love Data so much and, and, and getting to love him and hate him at the same time in this episode and just immediately like knowing Lore's up to no good even before he'd done anything. Mm. It felt right. It felt like we're getting there. A lot of credit needs to be given to, I think, both the writers of Data and uh, Brent Spiner himself for making um, what is essentially, you know, a uh, 
non-life form a mm. sense of real love that we have and an affection for him too because yeah. uh, he's always in uh aspiring to be uh loving and more human in some way and he doesn't he he never quite gets there but he always is putting in the effort and in this effort we see uh sneezing tests which is right. <laughs> really Achoo. really forced but <laughs> there are so many human things i wish i could do properly hold on Achoo. <laughs> yeah, I think that in that scene specifically, we can see Wesley or Will Wheaton break a little bit uh, in that he's trying to deliver this dialogue, but he's laughing too hard at what Brent Spiner is doing in the mirror. Yeah, Brent Spiner's doing an acting exercise in the mirror. I mean, that's... <laughs> this whole episode was an acting exercise, like a, an acting masterclass. You could just tell from the, the minute control that he has to, of his facial muscles to being able to like reenact a sneeze in that way multiple times. Like, like, it's the examination of the human condition, and I think it's what a lot of actors aspire to. Yeah, I mean, really, I should stop paying for acting classes and just watch this episode over and over, because there's so much more to get from it. The facial tick, absolutely. Right? Let's, set, let's set up what happens here. So yeah. we go to Data's home, sweet home, which is Omnicron Theta. We, uh, <laughs> we're we told in exposition that he was found there by some explorers or something like that, and it was like a farmland right. planet at one point when they, when they left. And now it was a colony and now they've found no one is there and uh, it's it's desolate. It's barren. All life has been wiped out. But he does have the memories of a bunch of the colonists that live there. Apparently, that's a very that's a very like quickly mentioned thing that like, oh, by the way, you have all of the accumulated knowledge of a society of people. Moving on. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there's definitely a plot hole at the top here. Did they rescue his body? Which it sounds like after this big catastrophic event happened to the people that lived there. Um, I guess it was called the Tripoli Landing Party that found him. Mm -hmm. um, or was there still colonists there? In which case they would have... Um, run away on whatever ship picked up data in the first place so it's it's curious that he's surprised for the first time that uh there's nobody living here mm -hmm. we should have known yeah. that already and I think that we'll, we'll bring up these parts later on in, in uh, the story as well, because it is a core function of what Data brings to the table. Uh, where does this core humanity come from? Their explanation for it is it's this amalgamation of these colonists that were at the end of their life because they had this crystalline entity coming at them. So they're trying to dump everything into this kind of like last hope time capsule type of thing in Data. Um, and then a real R2-D2. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. It probably could have been influenced in the same way. I always thought Data was standard issue Starfleet, but uh, mm -hmm. we were, I, don't, I don't think we had addressed previously where he came from before right. this episode. Oh, I didn't know you thought that. Did you think that now? I still think that. <laughs> I meant prior to this episode, you thought that. You thought he was like a standard thing that comes on Starships? Well, no, because uh, there's never been another data, but uh, it wasn't clear to me that it wasn't manufactured on Earth. Oh, interesting. Gotcha. Yeah, they, they don't, I think they briefly mention it somewhere in the early episodes, but yeah, they don't go into it too much. So this is where we just get it all at once. Yeah, this is the first sort of backstory that we get on where data came from, even visiting his home planet, which is just, you know, his point of origin. He doesn't really have the, the cultural ties to anything on Omicron data. <laughs> 
So the away team goes down to where he was first found. Uh, Jordy rolls a 20 on his perception and finds the secret <laughs> yeah. door. Uh-huh. Uh, we go into those underground laboratories, the laboratory of Nunyan Sung, who, so this seems like a throwaway line, Becca, but uh, I know from my old watch throughs that this, is, his creator is actually, mm-hmm. will come into the show later on as well in some Dr. ways. Dr. Nunyan Sung is a yeah. major player in the overall canon. Oh, yeah. cool. They mentioned the name so many times, and mm-hmm. it was also, oh, we know that name from Earth history uh, or Human Federation history. That's one of the best scientists of all time. A few notable sort of when they're building out this world of this this future they they really do a good job of um, keeping track of the little names and things they're sprinkling in or if they're in a later episode and need something to call back to they'll go back into these scripts to try to find something they can connect that's good script writing that's it's good great. world building right there <laughs> it, is. it is uh well most importantly they find another data and everybody starts awkwardly tiptoeing around it until they're called out later. I don't want to talk about that. Well, so the, the call out scene, I definitely would bring up later on because I think it's a great representation for something that could happen today. But first, let's talk about uh, finding these body parts. Oh, the body parts. Well, I just oh, want you mean to, where Jordy head. finds a door and once again, yeah. as he has many times before, tells Riker there's a door and he should come yeah. over for a big reveal. <laughs> That's the one. Yep. Uh, yeah, like, I had such a weird reaction to Data's brother's head with those eyebrows, which I felt <laughs> like he had feathers attached above his eyes. I don't know what those were exactly. They did such a good job with the face, but then there's these eyebrows that look like they came off of the set of, like, hair. Real, real hair is expensive, okay? And this was it's for true. one scene. <laughs> and he's disassembled in all of these not linear parts, like his Listen, hands over here. The real reason that Laura was disassembled was because of the eyebrows, not because of the emotions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, they ask later if he's perfectly anatomically correct, just like Data. And I didn't see uh, the parts that Lieutenant Yar experienced on that wall of parts, so it must have been a detachable penis somewhere. Sure, sure, sure. Just for upgrading whatever you want to do. Mm -hmm. For upgrades. (laughs) Various attachments. Yeah. They do spend like a solid minute doing that montage scenes of the technicians, like holding their wands over his body parts as they like reassemble him. There's like a long process of that. It was a very expensive scene. And they're like, we need to get as much footage out of this as we can. Yeah, we really paid a lot for these prosthetic parts. Mm. Yeah. Uh, And Crusher is the first one to awkwardly say, we're going to need to look inside your... uh, if we could just uh, scan your, you know. And what, what occurred to me was, wouldn't all of the, the Starfleet officers have had some sort of scan? Wouldn't they already have uh, a map yeah. of what's inside data when they found this mysterious android? I think I that someone's I was, I, before. I was wondering about this too, because everybody in the observation lounge was really awkward about it until Picard just kind of laid it out there. I was like, why is this happening? And I think it's because they are also trying to still make it somewhat of a family show. And I think they thought that kids would be like a little weirded out that there's like this disassembled cast member being Mm -hmm. put back together comparatively. So they were trying to make it feel safe is my best guess. Yeah, but it's also a really, really interesting start to the discussion of agency, uh, especially when Crusher brings up the off switch 
switch uh, and whether or not the the crew would be uh, like privy to the full schematics of data like anyone would have their medical charts uh, the question comes up is data uh, Dr. Crusher's responsibility or Chief Argyle's responsibility in engineering is he a machine or is it something that Dr. Crusher needs to scan and keep up regularly and I think that this is where we try to find where does he belong in that one of the things I wanted to bring up was Picard's speech at the table because uh, one of the things that they, they bring up is the pronoun of using it as opposed to he, uh, which I think is a great analogy for today's struggle with people um, uh, sort of identifying with different pronouns than what people might attribute to them. Uh, and just the simple discussion of, hey, when you called lore it, uh, it makes me feel less than human. So like a thing. For, like a thing. And Picard simply says, my apologies you're right let's move on and I, I think that it. is just the wish that everybody could have of like hey this isn't actually the name that I go by anymore or I actually use these pronouns anymore my apologies let's move the fuck on let's all take a note from Captain Picard's book yes yeah. love it like, yes this is an awkward situation yes we have to confront some of our morality but as long as we understand that let's tackle this like any other problem and we're not hurting Data's feelings where you were pussy footing around for our own benefit and we need to just examine why that is and get rid of it if it's a hindrance way to yeah. examine ourselves love it <laughs> speaking of examining ourselves in a lot of media there tend to be drawings that kids do of their own doom Right. Uh, this episode was no exception. Yeah. And I really loved the fact that when they brought a picture to Picard of one of these uh, portraits, Josh M. signed his Doom portrait, which I thought was so <laughs> sweet. This it says Josh M. Thing. in the Josh corner. M. Oh, I noticed oh. that for sure. At first, they didn't say they were children's drawings. They just said, we found these drawings. And I was like, wait, hold on. This is the best depictions that the society could do, yet they made data? There's a this disconnect This is Nguyen here. Uh, transcripts and uh, schematics. They put all the money into the sciences and none into the arts in their schools. It's just a concept. You get it. <laughs> uh, I was fascinated. You know, Becca, you mentioned we didn't see uh, Data's more intimate parts, but during the scene where they were assembling lore, if you look carefully on the like glass panel where she has them side by side, I'm pretty sure I saw android nipples. Oh, yeah. You see Data nipples all the time. What? I didn't know that. The, the Starfleet uniform? Everybody's oh, nipples are visible through that Xander, uniform. Xander, you have you nipple vision from what Absolutely. I would call <laughs> I got, I got I the card nipple vision. I'm, I've been getting a lot of nipple, especially uh, after he got that kiss in the last episode. <laughs> there was some nipple action right before it cut to commercial break, but that's a different it was episode. exciting? No, good. <laughs> Lore awakens. They're talking about him like he's not there, classic. And then he right. wakes up and joins the conversation, immediately getting all attention and somehow finding a dope monk robe. Who had this laying around that he was like, that's my style. May I have? Give is, me, please. Is that a civilian uniform, Xander? Well, so what's interesting here, and this is a great place to bring, bring this up. I think I've talked about it before in that we've seen the color change from command and security gone from like red shirts to the command red. And now Data is in this gold. And that was specifically because it would match the makeup and the context that they had for him. It, it reflected and, and uh, worked better. So it's so interesting interesting that they took the exact same shade that they knew worked uh, with the makeup and they made another costume out of it that was a civilian version it is no way a Starfleet uniform but they reflected the same colors because they knew that it worked. 
it, it kind of looks like the uniform that the chief engineer was wearing in the second episode when they had all those chips disassembled. Oh. Uh, chief Shinoba or something like that, hmm. right? Maybe. Yeah. I'll look it up I while mean, we're talking. It's, it, this is with anything. If you put a primary color with like a black turtleneck or some black <laughs> piping, it looks like Star Trek. This is a good point. This is a good point. <laughs> yeah, just like in those Animal Crossing uniforms that. Yeah. Everybody exactly. <laughs> All right. So then, uh, Laura's like taking up Data's spot on the bridge just to check it out, and they're like, "Oh yeah, push this button. It's fine. It makes the ship go. That's how you would take it over if you wanted to send us towards some crystalline structure that wants to absorb all humanity." <laughs> And yeah, Data walks yeah. in. That's my spot. <laughs> Who let you on the bridge? He does have uh, quite a bit of shade that he gets to throw uh, with just the simple lines of like, you don't get to sit there without X many years in the academy and training mm-hmm. and whatever. So it's it's a really subtle way that he can kind of play off himself because I, I don't know exactly how they filmed this, but I can assume that they had to shoot, uh, you know, him in the seat and him outside acting against himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You and lock the camera in place and shoot it twice, and if someone budges that camera, you're in trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Lore does accurately, I think, assess that th- all that training, that those years of service, that's for humans to like learn how mm-hmm. to do that stuff. They're, they're they're androids; they can pick that up super quick. I thought that was an interesting point because he's right, right? Yeah, yeah. And I th- I think that this highlights a lot of um, what Data sort of uh, established in the wish granting scene with Riker. Uh, if he got everything that he wanted, if he became human, he then there wouldn't be a point. He's trying to go through the journey and have the experience, and part of that is going through Starfleet Academy, earning the right to be on the bridge. That's part of going through the process. And by just downloading the data, you're not literally you're not. <laughs> Uh, going through the journey. <laughs> it's the journey, not the destination, baby. There it is. <laughs> okay, I have a, a lot of points on this that I want to bring up that are, um, so the overall theme seems to be playing with the idea of the uncanny valley because we learned that Lore was decommissioned uh, because he was too human-like in his personality traits and his desires. That's what he says. Yeah. Just well, says and he's also evil, coincidentally. <laughs> right, right. But um, <laughs> when, this is the scene, I was like, wait, hold on. They've like been... I thought they were sort of collaborating. They seemed to have this shorthand a little bit. And then it reminded me of something that I had read in a book about how when two robots, like AI, uh, communicate, they develop a shorthand very quickly. And this is in the book uh, Give People Money by Annie Lowry that's um, wow. about UBI, but I, I got to tell you guys about some part of it. Um, so there were these Facebook chat bots, uh-huh. and they were able to do like negotiations. Humans couldn't tell whether they were negotiating with a real person or not. And then when they would have the chatbots talk to one another, they mm-hmm. very quickly developed their own language. So it would be, for example, Bob, I can, I, I, everything else. Alice, balls have zero to me, 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 to me. Bob, you, I, everything else. And it was saying that the bots determined that it was more efficient and effective to speak in their own shorthand, learning and teaching themselves to do these simple negotiations. Uh, and then shortly after uh, Facebook shut them down but it like it'll say the five times to interpret that I want five copies of this item for example Mm. so I thought that was so interesting and I was like if we were to do this episode today we might have them sort of speak in a shorthand because you kind of wonder like why aren't they telepathic or why aren't they just like downloading this information by touching fingertips you know (laughs) Um, 
not that like it's more interesting to watch the actors actually have a conversation uh, sure. in terms of like performance and us understanding but they could just where they're coming at from. each other and have all that info be transmitted yeah. yeah, or maybe, you know, step into some sort of, like, Matrix-like uh, holodeck communication channel where they wouldn't actually have to be having this in physical conversation if they can communicate through just downloading data. Mm-hmm. I think uh, what you're describing, too, Becca, is one of the outcomes, but the other one could have been a recursive loop of just they would talk to each other until they started repeating each other back and forth, which is another, like, outcome of that sort of uh, experiment. But I think that... You, you hit that right on the head of, of this is just another detail that Brent Spiner goes into in his performance in that they both feel like two distinct different characters and the way that they interact with each other wasn't happening in real time and yet it feels so natural and, and you could play off each other it, it was so good. Excellent point because I wasn't even thinking about the level of nuance it takes to give that performance twice from right? different points of view and to yeah. really, because acting is all about listening to the performance you're getting and he was doing that so well having just remembered or maybe watched playback of what he'd done before yeah the scene where lore like handed data the champagne i was kind of blown away by now i remember we are watching the remastered version so i don't know how much they cleaned that up but that was really smooth and there wasn't like camera movement at all like which would they have to lock it off and stuff but that was that was flawless as far as i was concerned and there's a lot of that impressive bit of cinematography that i saw was the mirror shot or, or something like that where the the i think it was a stunt double as data was out of focus and then you were there was a close-up on Brent Spiner's lore, so you had both bodies in the same shot, but mm-hmm. one was out of focus and in the background, and it was a great way to do that. Not only that, though, but like the layers that that Brent Spiner has to play, because there's a point where he's playing lore, playing data poorly, right? This is uh, the same uh, sort of respect that I have for um, uh, for Emma Watson, right? Hermione Granger. Mm-hmm. Because she played uh, Bellatrix Lestrange playing Hermione Granger at the bank poorly. And I thought it was a great performance. Uh, It was the other way around. It was Helena Bonham Carter playing uh, Hermione. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. We got to watch that again. To go back to why this episode was actually scary and felt like it had more stakes. Not only do we have the data versus data situation, but then the crystalline entity you were mentioning Mm -hmm. before. Oh, I guess it it, is. An insatiable life force eater is how they describe it. (laughs) And when Brett Spiner mentions like, and that's why I fed the entire colony to the crystalline structure, because then it would owe me one, was absolutely (laughs) terrifying. This like extreme need of hunger uh, or like hunger, hunger for power that it had. Yeah. I don't need a hunger. Um, was so terrifying. Whew. Right. I like that you call yeah. Lord Brent Spiner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, that's him playing himself. Data is pure. Uh, right. I, Brent versus Brett. <laughs> the facial. Oh, yeah. The facial tics were a really uh, like the distinction between them. I thought it was clever of Lord to then just give him a facial tick. That was a really convenient little tool. 
The same thing with the contractions, uh, because that's one of the things they used with Mr. Spock, too, in that he would not use contractions in his speech, and that's how they would get a more formal uh, read. One of the things that I wanted to quickly bring up as a sort of side thing, uh, I'm in a Star Trek RPG, and right now, uh, in Clear Skies, we have just found another crystalline entity. So we are dealing with a hatching one and trying to find some other life force for it to consume. You're going to so feed it spoilers. some colonists? Wait. So Maybe. your lore? <laughs> your no, Brent no, no, Spiner? Evil. This is a new one. This is a different one in the future. Don't feed it. No, don't <laughs> feed it. Kill it. Oh, okay. Now, do we kill it? That's killing uh, it. Uh, sentient smash life form. it. <laughs> Destroy it. Well, it's, it's I look forward consuming to your entire planets in the conference room. <laughs> this is also this isn't the last we'll hear of the crystalline entity, as I recall, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Oh God. Um, so the evil twin game starts to play out. Laura takes the place of um, Data after roofing him. Um, <laughs> yep. Through his one Achilles heel, following human customs. <laughs> yeah, that was is. that was a pretty good way to do it because I was like, "What are we doing here with alcohol? What's the plan?" And then th it was a good point. That's like, "Hey." If you want to be more human, we we do a toast, right? And then Data's like, I don't really see the point, and then just passes out. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> now, uh, what what would have poisoned Data? Some sort of nanotechnology, maybe, or yeah. something that would mess with his positronic matrix, as they would say. Ooh, good babbled. It's just a Thanks. magnet he swallowed. That's all it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, just a big old horseshoe magnet that's pulverized. <laughs> um, I there was a moment where uh, Riker really became Dad Riker, and I think it was when he was telling Wesley not to to not get involved with what was going on. Wesley was always airing suspicions, as he does in many episodes, because he witnesses these things, and uh, everybody gets on his case. In fact, to the point to where we get. Wesley. Okay, this well, we never healers this episode. He will burn you yeah. a lot. I know, but yeah. should I bleep it? Is that what's the deal? Like, I, I, I get it. that it became I think a we thing. Bleep it. <laughs> right, right. No, but I feel bad hearing it, knowing how much he hates it. I'm right. like, we'll cover my ears. Well, let's talk about it then. Like, uh, I mean, yeah. it was a really demeaning thing for that character to go through, and it, I, th I guess they were trying to show that he wasn't respected. But man, he was respected so many times before this, and then suddenly they reverse course. I don't get it. It was so stupid of them to not listen to him after he's proven time and time again that he is brilliant. He see things, sees things that other people don't. A traveler from another dimension deigned to show himself to these Federation officers just so he could tell the captain, you have a, a prodigy, a super brilliant genius on your hands listen to him and, and foster that. Lore even mentions that to Data. He's like, You're, he's a mere boy. And Data says, oh, he's much more than that. Like, we, we make that clear. Well, I think this is one of the big pitfalls that they fell into when trying to develop a Monster of the Week format in that the consequences of every episode can't be too grand in that every episode could air out of order in that they shot them out of order and who knows when they would be airing. So they kind of have to reestablish Wesley as this boy genius all the time because who knows when in the timeline this is actually going to be coming out. Um, That's a great point. 
Yeah. Everybody else, Dr. Crusher is a doctor. The captain is the captain. You can kind of figure it out. But why is this kid on the, the, the starship bridge? You know, you kind of have to explain it each time. They, they go away from that, thankfully. And I think this was not only a show of maybe 1980s, like, parenting techniques mm -hmm. of, like, the stern father tells the kids what they need to hear and the mother is there to comfort them, but only to a certain level. Yeah. Uh, and so they both get fed up and say, Wesley and it's like parents can relate right but oh, it came God. across very demeaning and the wrong way to do it <laughs> yeah there was so much finger pointing and like talking down to it just felt really out of place and all like yeah. really out of nowhere for the mm -hmm. most part it was yeah a, it felt like they just had to make that happen just to have the suspense but really uh, Picard didn't get to do much except be wrong in this episode <laughs> that's true yeah so Wesley like gets to go down with Riker to Data's uh, quarters when they don't want to let Data alone by himself because he's a little suspicious of him and then as soon as Data gets or Data I mean quote unquote Data Ooh. gets there gets into the quarters he plays puppet with his own body which was really yeah. clever I mean a lot of times it's like this is a good place for a clever plan to come in and then it's like a little bit deus ex machia but that was actually like oh wow uh yeah that definitely uh, makes a lot of sense in the situation and is terrifying that he got away with that because why of course you would believe it that it's scary the thing that it's doing of shutting go like seizuring basically yeah. uh wow well, if Another only we reason. all had a switch to be able to do that, but we don't. <laughs> uh, and so, you don't tell people about your off switch, yeah. which is why mm. Beverly Crusher gets suspicious and goes along with her son completely being subordinate to the captain, having said... Insubordinate. Yes, thank right. you. Yeah. What's the thing where you're not subordinate? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she's guilty of some insubordination, one could say. Because right. uh, she just is like, no, you got to leave the deck, Wesley. Okay, I guess I'll sneak with you and turn back on what the captain thinks is lore. Right. Well, here's the thing, too, is from a writer's perspective, if you want to have a Wesley, uh, Dr. Crusher data episode, you need these excuses to kind of get them together without the rest of the characters. And so a way to do that is to put up what no one's listening to Wesley except for his mom. And but they just did it again the wrong way <laughs> Yeah. for how good this episode was in general and how well Brent Spiner and the other actors, uh, to be fair, really brought the script to life because the the resolution wasn't there uh, the the stakes of the crystalline entity weren't really explained and the threat of lore was there but not really mm -hmm. and so th I think that the script on its own may have been a little bit weak it's the performance of the, the actors that really brought it to life data versus lore versus data versus Wesley occurs in the cargo bay and we yeah. end the episode with transporting lore into space and I think that's kind of just where they leave him oddly like they don't really resolve no, no, no. that right? his life force was probably absorbed by a crystalline structure and we just never talk about it <laughs> that's a one that's one hell of an assumption well, there were a lot of they were gonna stick a tree out there a poor tree <laughs> but that means they murdered him well, yes and yeah I mean the android could survive in survive in space it just seems um, unlike Starfleet to just beam an, an antagonist out and then just let him float there even if he right. could survive well they had already told uh engineering or, or weapons uh we're gonna send out 
uh, a non-human object that's going to be floating near the crystalline structure and just blow it up as soon as you see it. So there you go. <laughs> okay. This is also where the plan, the the uh, plot loophole kind of comes in because the plan for lore was that as soon as they're going to beam something out, they have to drop their shields. So once the shields are dropped and they beam the thing out, now you can fire Crystalline Entity. But instead, they've beamed something out. The Crystalline Entity doesn't fire while the shields are down. The thing they, the thing they beamed out was lore and they somehow cannot communicate with the Crystalline Entity anymore because lore is not on the ship and that doesn't really make sense <laughs> whatever run away <laughs> yeah but we're at 50 minutes so we gotta end the episode <laughs> okay uh i just have to comment on something uh okay Picard, super clever super smart having an off day because uh data didn't recognize make it so we all know right. make it so right. we all can make it so also when he was leaving the transportation deck he was so chipper. The final lines are, hey Riker, uh, is Data more or less human than we want? I only wish we were all as well balanced, sir. Agreed! And then like cheerfully walks out instead of like, yeah. we almost lost this very key crew member. Uh, wow, what an intense day. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing. It's an ending like the sitcoms of the time. They wanted this nice bow to put on the end of it. Everyone learned their lesson, the end. But it's yeah. like, no, not really for this one. They're, huh. st they're, they're still right in the line of like uh, the family show, as we discussed earlier yeah. with like the uncomfortableness that he experienced with like his body being reassembled. Um, mm -hmm. Lore was actually originally planned to be a female android to provide a love oh. interest for Data. Um, oh. But it was Brent Spiner that suggested the evil twin idea, and that was used instead. Because he was like, guys, I'm sorry, do you know how good an actor I am? I <laughs> he was also going to play feeling. the female version of himself, Becca, don't you worry. Oh, good, good, good. Oh, wait, that, no, wait I need I, that. I know, I made that up. <laughs> I know, but I want that now. <laughs> I'm sure he did it at one point in his own private videos. Um, I'm positive. <laughs> well, that was data, or data lore, I should say. Yeah. Right? Or should I say data lore? Is that what you want me no. to say? No. <laughs> um, I, I liked this one. I'll give this uh, three nipples out of four. Like, it was pretty solid. <laughs> Where did you get the extra nipple? Well, three out of four over two androids. Oh. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, I'll second your three out of four nipples, only sure. because Picard could have used a nipple in all this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I think it's it's uh, a four out of four on the nipple scale, at least for me. I think it was pretty solid. I mean, we could have just had him going back to play Dixon Hill the whole time, and that's why he wasn't paying any attention. He might have been. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Shut up, Wesley. I've got to go be Dixon Hill. <laughs> well, next week, we are going to the episode Angel One. While Riker leads an away team to a female-dominated planet, a mysterious <gasps> virus spreads amongst the Enterprise crew. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait either. So much so that let's head to our next coordinates. Engage. Make it so! Oh. <laughs> Whatever, I'm over it. Yeah. <laughs>